Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to give you guys a preview for today's Thunder Dallas Mavericks game, as well as just kind of going over what we're going to see in this second half of play. Now, if you guys haven't noticed, this is probably the first time about two months I have not gotten a episode back to back to back to back. I had a crazy test yesterday, guys. I could not get it out. I finished. I was pretty much studying all day long. Got my test in. Pretty much way too late. If I started recording, it would have said it was done today anyway. So I was like, ah, I'll give it a little bit and then I'll do it in the morning. So, you know, I apologize for not getting it out uh, at, at the usual times, normally around like 5 a.m. But, you know, I'm going to get this one in and hopefully I'll be able to make it up, get back on that one-a-day schedule, maybe. I might come back with another one tonight, depending on how this game goes. But, yeah, I mean, my apologies. This is the first time I've had kind of some big school stuff going on. Normally, I don't have to worry about that too much. I can brush it off. But this one was serious. I had to get to pretty good grades. So, yeah. Anyways, just moving on to really the second half of the season. I think we just need to start like looking at this as an entirety before we break down to this Thunder Mavs game. But the Oklahoma City Thunder, they're not really that bad. I mean, they're sitting at 15 and 21 right now. They have, I believe, the ninth best odds at the number one draft selection. So, you know, when you're looking at the ping pong balls, it's not it's not completely out of the picture to see them potentially going up or down here. I mean, they have a lot of flexibility, and I think, you know, depending on how their schedule goes, because they do have a pretty, pretty easy schedule, they could actually hopscotch a lot of teams. Now, they have the 11th easiest schedule remaining in this second half of play. That is a lot better than some of these other contenders who, you know, are trying to potentially fall down a little bit on these draft boards. Like, for instance... The Sacramento Kings, they are a team that are completely tied with us right now, and they have one of the easiest schedules. They have the seventh easiest schedule in the entire league. So, you know, with them, I feel like their roster is pretty okay. I could see them maybe muscling out a couple of their wins here. They play the Timberwolves three different times. They play the Pistons too, Rockets, Cavs, a lot of easy, easy teams. But the scary one is the Houston Rockets, and you don't want to latch on to these guys too much because it really is going to be a 50-50 shot come draft lottery time, but they have the hardest schedule in the entire league, and out of their easy opponents, I'd probably say they have about four gimme games. They have three games against Minnesota, one game against the Pistons, and then you boost up to the Magic Kings. That is a pretty rough schedule that you're looking at right there and you know they have to play the jazz three different times they have to play the suns twice 76ers are in there a lot of squads that you just don't want to have to match up with they're probably not going to have that many wins i mean they just have not had success closing out on this first half that losing streak once christian wood came down is huge i believe they might still be riding on that and they could continue to be riding on that. I don't think he's completely cleared yet to even play for them again. So they're going to be pretty much stationed in that one to two spot for lottery odds. And, you know, whenever their one through four protections kick in, they have maybe like a 52 
percent chance to keep in that top four now whenever you go when you're in that one spot you are able to be one through five second odds one through six third odds one through seven so i mean it might actually be more beneficial to see some of them fall, maybe like fall down a little bit however that base value really doesn't get tinkered with that much so maybe you do want them to be number one just so you know it's either a five pick or a bust anyways really oklahoma city they kind of control their own destiny here i think the miami heat are kind of in the clear in terms of whether or not their pick is going to be in the lottery they've kind of turned it around they've seen some kind of stars coming back like kendrick nunn always kind of been hated but you know he's been performing at a very high level lately so he's been able to fill in you still have your guys in jimmy bam out of bio looks better than ever tyler hero and duncan robinson they come in every once in a while. I don't think they're at the same peak performance they're playing at in Orlando, but they are still very good. I think their whole roster in the East gets you a playoff spot. So I don't expect them to be anywhere close to us. Really, I mean, if we want that number one pick, it's going to have to come through through us wanting to tank. It's It was pretty much always that way, but even more so now. Like I don't even know if we're going to have this Rockets pick, and if we don't have it, it's pretty much a bust. So, you just got to get lucky in that lottery. However, as I stated, with a schedule that's fairly easy, you could actually probably get up pretty high if you choose to do so, especially when you're looking at how many new faces have come into this team and just completely dominated. I mean, you got to start with Shea Gildas Alexander. He's not new. He's returning, but he's just turned into an all-star, specifically in this last month of February. He was going off. It's not just that driving game, which he's continued to grow on, but that sidestep triple was even more prevalent, and teams just simply cannot guard him right now because of how he's able to kind of change the speed of play. And I always talk about it, but it's 100% true. I mean, you can't really catch up with him. When you have a De'Aaron Fox in front of you, you kind of know what you have. You're kind of just backpedaling the whole time. You can't necessarily do that with a guy in Shea Gojus Alexander because that sidestep and step back has been killer when you try backpedaling he notices and that's where he pulls you with your pants down has like a 41 percent three-point percentage at this point of time and then you know if you're kind of stationary he'll kind of be dribbling a little bit slow and then he'll just ramp it up out of nowhere once he gets to the interior he's either going to go full blast or if he's double teamed he slows it back down again and he's actually able to split defenders in that lane to find a better look or he just kicks it right back out so he's been able to be that leader in that first half, and he's going to probably continue to be that in the second half, even more so, I'd probably say, just based on what we have seen from him in the last couple weeks. But yeah, I think you have a real leader there, and when you surround him around pieces who have kind of been emerging, I mean, Lou Dort, he's on and off. He kind of flickers in terms of offensive performance. You know what you have in him on defense. He's one of the best in the league, I'd say in his class, he's probably the best defender that you found out there. The man doesn't even get drafted, but that's from another day. I mean, he's been doing crazy stuff. Al Horford, uh, I don't know how long he's going to be with us if he stays, but he has been able to drop, you know, 15 to 20 points on a pretty consistent basis. You got to trickle in Hamadou Diallo, who has been dropping like 11 a night, and he's able to do even more than that he's able to be that number one or number two option pretty much any given time he steps on that hardwood and i'd almost say the same with mike muscala obviously not as you know 
consistent. I'd say he's probably a little bit less sporadic than I'd say someone like uh, Diallo. I think he's really hit or miss. Muscala is not necessarily like that. He does have some down games, but for the most part, he's always able to kind of stay around that three for seven, three for eight range. But if he really starts feeling it, you look at him kind of entering that dangerous territory. And even other guys such as Kendrick Williams and Isaiah Roby, they've been able to find themselves in that point column. And Darius Baisley, whenever he erupts too. So really just a real well-rounded team. And I didn't even have to mention the Maldones and the, the George Hills of the world. But yeah, it, it's wild. This is a very depth-heavy team. And even in that front, that front five, it looks pretty, pretty solid. But the deal is, now you see all these guys from the G League coming over. And you come over to this looming trade deadline. What's going to end up happening to these rotational minutes? And it does get a little bit scary because, you know, you know there's a lot of guys who deserve minutes. But even whenever you had Ty Jerome back down, you had Josh Hall down, you had Moses Brown down, you had Pokachevsky down, you couldn't even find suitable minutes for guys such as in like Kendrick Williams. You know, I feel like that guy should probably be averaging 25 a night. He deserves that. But they just couldn't fit it in. Now you bring all them back. What happens to him? And I think it works with every single person on this roster. So you already know with guys like Shea Goldis Alexander, he's averaging 35 minutes a game. I don't expect him to really have any downward trend in terms of the minutes. I feel like he probably should stay pretty sturdy there. You got other players though. I mean, Lou Dort, I'd also consider a lock too. Like, I don't think you'd want to mess around with any of these like under 23 year old guys and their minutes so I'd say he sticks around there Darius Baisley he's playing about 31 no he's he's been playing up and down and you got to keep playing that's what I'd imagine I mean you have so many guys behind him who I do believe deserve minutes but I just couldn't really see them wanting to take anything away from him I feel like he's kind of been on like this emotional roller coaster almost and I, I'm, I'm like talking for him so you don't really want to take what I'm saying you know, completely true, take it with a grain of salt here, but he's kind of been really emotional, I don't think taking away minutes from a guy like Darius Baisley, who has shown so many flashes, is a very good idea, so I think the SGA, Baisley, and Dort combo, they're gonna keep their 30 minutes on the games, Al Horford though, that's kind of where you get into the question marks, I mean, he's averaging 28 a night, and he's not playing on back-to-backs, here's the thing, I mean, we don't really have any surefire centers behind him you have Mike Muscala and you have Moses Brown and I don't know if Horford or Muscala for that matter are in the long-term future I mentioned this in my recent podcast I believe I think it was the last one I did I said both of them probably could be on that trade block for the correct price and I don't really see a reason why his minutes would diminish that much I know Moses Brown looked good I, I know that and I do think he is deserving of at least some glimpses of the of the court, but I don't know if he like Al Horford would take that big of a of a drop down. I feel like if Moses Brown comes back, he probably still is going to be that fill in guy. I think his time probably comes after the trade deadline when either Horford or Muscala gets dealt, and if none of them get dealt, that's kind of when you get into the point where okay, should we move Muscala down to the four and have Moses Brown playing at times? You could try that out, but. I don't know. I think that he probably would work pretty well with that bench unit just based on the fact that his speed is very good. I do I do think, though, 
depending on who's running that point guard, whether it's Ty Jerome, Maladone, or you're playing Point Diallo, it really affects your usage of Moses Brown because of how down low he is. He can't stretch the floor like, you know, an Omer Yurt 7 would have for you, or Muscala, Roby, Horford. He's different in that way. He's all about attacking, and if you have Moses Brown, you're going to have someone right around the basket pretty much the entire time. So you have to take that into account whenever you're matching up players. I think that if you paired him with someone like Maladone, that'd be amazing because he's very good when it comes to reading pick and rolls. Ty Jerome, I'd say he's a pretty good decision maker as well. I don't know to the same degree of Teo right now. And Diallo, you know, if you give him a high ball screen, he'll just charge right at that center. And, you know, if you feel confident about that matchup, you'll be completely cool with it. But yeah, you can't really play five out when you got Moses Brown. That's kind of kind of evident with him. I do think that he could see some time. I don't expect it to be anything more than what it was before he came over, at least for right now. Maybe he will get minutes with that second unit in sparse time, but I don't think he's going to be in a regular rotation spot until the trade deadline kind of converses and we see what we're kind of left with there. So I'm not really giving a statement on what will be going on with him. I do think with George Hill, he's probably on his way out. And for our sake, I think that it helps out a lot minute-wise to preserve Maladone's role as well as Ty Jerome's because he has been able to kind of step up. And you're in this spot where you really are only running a four-guard rotation before it was SGA, Hill, Teo, and Hami. I don't know if George Hill's necessarily needed anymore. I think Maladone has kind of swooped in on the opportunity whenever Hill came down and he's been able to really take that take that role and he's he's done great. So I don't think he'd really lose that job. I think he's probably going to be your sturdy starter. But that moves George Hill to a bench in a hypothetical situation and I don't know if the Thunder really want to do that. I think if they bring him back, he'd actually have to come to that starting rotation. But it's like that Trevor Reza thing. I think maybe mutually they're looking towards the future and just shipping George Hill off to another team. And that's where you get into those rumors that I've already made. Like I've made so many situations on George Hill before, but that's where you look into the, are you going to try to deal him to the Brooklyn Nets, the 76ers? What would you get out of him? Tony Bradley, whatever, you know? I don't really know, uh, to be quite honest with you. I just know that looking at it from a realistic standpoint, I don't think his minutes can really be accommodated. I don't think his skills can be accommodated right here, right now, because it would probably limit that from what you would see. I'd say particularly from Jerome and Maladone. Now, Diallo might get that short end of the stick, but I don't know. I feel like Maladone probably is the guy that would take the biggest beating. You just need to make sure they, they can continue to play. And Teo, you know, he's averaging over 25 a game. He's barely below George Hill. And it's because whenever he took that starting job, he was playing 30 plus. You know, whenever everybody was down, he was having to play 35 minutes a game almost. So that's how it gets skyrocketed. I don't want to see that move at all. Same when it comes to Ty Jerome. In four games, average 25 minutes. Now, I don't know if that's really going to stay true. I think that ideally you can play him as a backup point guard in the second unit. But with SGA there, Maladone there, and Diallo, I'd probably say 20 minutes is what you're looking at. I don't think he's taken that kind of numbers away 
at least for the moment. I think he has looked very good, and he's probably proven himself, at least to the team he has, but he needs to get more reps in before you kind of move him up on this pecking order here. And, you know, that average is actually wild because Hamadou Diallo is not even playing half the game. He only plays 23.8, which, you know, that's a little bit nitpicky on my part. I'll, I'll fess up to that. But I don't think I don't think Jerome would play more than that. I think Diallo's probably your number one guy, as mentioned. So he, I think Diallo probably stays right there. Hill's the guy that gets that boot. And then you move on to the forward positions and you have Lou Dort, who I mentioned should probably stick around in terms of minute minutes that he's going to be receiving. And now you look towards the Kenrich Williams and the Justin Jacksons of the world. And I do, I don't think Justin Jackson can like maintain a steady role. It's just, it's been very hard because he has had those games, but I think he's 25 years old now. He's looked all right, but I think he's a little bit too inconsistent. And I don't know if they see a ton of potential in him. That floater game that he has, when he likes adding it to his repertoire, it's really either looks amazing or you're really, really upset. And I don't know. I, I just don't think there's a logical reason why you'd place him over Kenrich Williams, who pretty much is the exact same age as him and has a lot more kind of versatile impacts than he does. Now, Kenrich Williams doesn't even play 20 minutes a game. He plays 18 Point nine, and that's something that I find kind of crazy. And that's how you fit it in. You can't play everyone the amount of minutes you know they deserve. I think Kenrich Williams is probably the man who really embodies that statement the most out of anyone here. I'd almost bargain that he probably is playing better than some of the starters that we have right now. And I don't know exactly how you're able to match him up. He plays two, three, and four, so it helps you out filling like the gaps everywhere. I guess you could say, but how do you continue to move it up and up and up? I'd say a success for him is getting him consistently 20 minutes a game, but when he's feeling it, you need to play him for a lot longer than that, and he feels it a lot now, so, you know, don't get that all jacked up. He's one of the best defenders, not just on our team, but in the entire league, ranking pretty high up in some of the uh, statistics they got, some of those advanced statistics, so... I like him. I mean, whenever you look at just the actual splits, you're looking at 6.2 points, 4 rebounds, and 1.6 assists. Looks a lot further than that, though. I think he impacts the game in a lot higher magnitude than it probably let off. Then you get to the power forwards. And, you know, this is when it gets a little bit murky because you do have Darius Baisley, and right behind him, you have Pokachevsky. And then you had guys such as Isaiah Roby, Kenrich Williams, and Justin Jackson who were splitting time at that four spot. And before Alexei Pokachevsky moved on, before he got kind of sent down to the Oklahoma City Blue, he was playing over 17 minutes a game. And that's pretty huge. That is a huge number that you're talking about. When he was playing, you know who wasn't on the court near enough? Kenrich Williams. It took him until a January game versus the Chicago Bulls to even get his name in the papers. He was not playing, and he looks like a complete gym right now. Isaiah Roby, he was not playing a lot of the times. Sure, he was having a hell of a games against Nikola Vucevic in the Orlando Magic, starting, but then he wouldn't play. 
That guy needs a consistent role. Kenrich Williams needs a consistent role. Alexi Pokachevsky also needs a consistent role. And that's when it gets a little bit wild. And that's why this upcoming trade deadline is going to mean so, so much. Do you just move Isaiah Roby full time to a five spot to help preserve minutes? And what happens then? Does Mike Muscala just get dried out of everything? He doesn't deserve to get his minutes moved. He's having career high numbers and points. You move Al Horford out, you can't really do that. You're trying to spike up his value. If anything, you need to be playing him more than ever in this month. So there's way too many kind of variables moving around. And when everybody's so, so young on this team and touches are limited, you get into situations like these. I don't think you can toss Alexei Pokachevsky in the trash bin. You know, you can't do that. He's had too many moments and he's had slip ups, but I think the bright moments should probably outweigh the negative ones he's had with this unit thus far. You need to keep him in, but there's such a log jam on that bench unit. It's kind of wild. And a team, you know, fans from other groupings, they look at this and they would never understand. This is probably one of the more stacked benches that we've had in a good amount of years. And I know, I mean, like, well, what are you talking about? I actually think that. I think in terms of development and what we're going for, these guys definitely are a lot more stacked than the years we have seen prior. I mean, there are years where, like like I've said, you got Terrence Ferguson and Kyle Singler kind of logging up the minutes you don't got to deal with that anymore. I think everybody that you are playing, you're comfortable seeing on the floor. I think they're all positive. Now, out of that, you got like some projects, as a Pokachevsky would say. I don't think the, you know, plus minus would reflect huge numbers in his regard, but the potential's insane. You got to play the man, and that's when it gets really tough. I think it's going to be one of those things, almost hitting that reset button. You know, entering this season, Mark Dagnall said, it's going to take weeks for us to figure out a real rotation. It's going to be the same thing because they are just kind of completely restarting the process here. You're rebooting, you're retooling, you get four new guys back, and it may not seem like a big deal, but it is going to be a big deal, especially when you have to factor in Pokachevsky, and especially when you entered this season having a lot of guys such as the Robies, such as the Williamses, you weren't even really discussing about in the rotations. You just expected them to kind of be the fill-ins. They can't be simple fill-ins anymore. They need to be on the floor. They deserved every single second they've had. You can't do that to any of them. And that's why it's pretty wild. So the deadline really is where you format your rotation. But I think the actual model is going to have to fluctuate. You know, there's going to be a good amount of back-to-backs, and that's going to help you kind of form out the, the long-term because Al Horford's not going to be playing in those. That means Roby's going to be that starting center. That means you pretty much are able to get back to the usual, and maybe that even means you get players such as Moses Brown in action and others such as like a Justin Jackson who, as I said, really, unless there's a lot of injuries, I don't know how he could get in minutes. I think he's the guy who kind of gets that short end of the stick. There's also Josh Hall, who I also kind of have that same belief in, as well as Darius Miller. I think Darius Miller and Justin Jackson probably could be some pieces. I don't think you'd throw Josh Hall in a trade, especially because he's a two-way contract, but he couldn't play. He's actually healing up from an injury right now, so he wouldn't be in the rotation anyways. Like He's not even in the conversation for today's game against the Dallas Mavericks, but you kind of would also want to test him out. I mean, there's there's no more G League 
they are on two-way deals and now the new outline of this deal is it's pretty much a one year they get to play 50 games they haven't played enough they've only played what they've only played seven apiece hall's played seven brown's played seven so they can play out the entirety of the season also the playoffs so they are on for the rest of the year that's that's pretty big so you can throw them in whenever i just don't know how you do it and that's what makes it a little bit sad everybody's too young and everyone has too much potential to kind of just be ragged on them around and that's how you get that even code of minutes where you have like five six guys all sprouting around that 16 to 20 minute range in this rotation so it's going to be a little bit murky trying to maybe decipher how everything goes but as mentioned I do think that you probably will see the same familiar faces, the guys who you won't see. I don't think you're going to see a lot of Josh Hall. I don't think you see a lot of Darius Miller. I don't think you see enough Josh uh, Justin Jackson. And also, I don't think Moses Brown's out there a lot. So the only guy that you kind of swap around here, I think Miller was pretty much out the rotation to begin with, but Pokachevsky's kind of taking that Justin Jackson role. But you got to take minutes away from the veterans too if you kind of want to fit everything in so perfectly. Also, George Hill, as I've said, I think he's probably done. So that's how you get that kind of big gap in where it doesn't hurt you a ton because if George Hill was still balling out, oh my goodness, this would be like an absolute war that I'm talking about here because you know, you you really do need all four of those integral future guards to have 20 plus minutes, especially Shea Gilgis Alexander. That guy needs a lot more than just 20. So that's kind of what my mock is. I'll probably make an article because I know, you know, I was kind of ping-ponging around on ideas for a little bit. You guys know where to find me. My blog slash website, KyleSingler4MVP.com. Please make sure to check it out. I'm doing daily blog posts on the Oklahoma City Thunder as well as the Oklahoma City Blue know the season has ended but i'm still going to be highlighting some of them and what goes on in their future endeavors but moving on to the upcoming game against the dallas mavericks now we ended up playing them in dallas's last game of the first half and then you know they took their all-star break we still had one more game against the san antonio spurs right back in action Oklahoma City is unveiling some new jerseys. These things look exactly like the Dallas Mavericks jerseys. You got the navy blue, dark blue. Font looks exactly like it. You better hope this ain't the same mishap. You got to make sure the Dallas Mavericks are wearing their white jerseys or the league office. They're going to be conned yet again. But anyways, Thunder 15 and 21 and then Mavericks 19 and 16 on the season they are one of the more hotter teams in the league and i didn't actually mention this till a bit later i don't think i mentioned this actually in my last preview whenever these two teams faced off but they've won their last 10 of 12 games so they kind of were in that area where it's like are they gonna be able to make the playoffs now they're in the playoff seeds and they're just trying to continue to collect and in that past game whenever these two teams kind of aligned up against each other. If you guys remember, this was one of the most low-scoring games we have seen really in franchise history. The Oklahoma City Thunder only got 78 points. Last time that happened was back in 2014, and that was your season low. Other one was an 80-point game, like, in January, I think it was. So, 
Yeah, I mean, this was not their best night. Dallas Mavericks also, they only had 87. So this was not your typical NBA game. This was like, you know, pulling out the VCR and checking some old game footage. This was pretty much what that was. This was really crazy from what you're typically seeing from a 2021 national basketball game. But it's probably not going to be that way in this outing. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. It's going to start at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So we will see if I'm able to kind of grind this one out to get it out by midnight hopefully if not you already know i'll just have it out in the morning but anyways looking at this one you don't have luka Doncic sitting out he didn't want to play because he wanted to rest for the all-star game he had an all right performance so you know, i'd say probably for him it was worth it they got the w anyways so it didn't hurt them that bad that he was gone you get a pretty much mvp candidate back and for the oklahoma city thunder they had about everyone that was necessary for that uh contest so you know you're looking at the same kind of squadron laying the line against them and really the main deal was whenever the thunder played they just couldn't find any sort of success from three particularly they shot nine of 39 that's 23 percent and because of it they were able to swarm sga he was not feeling it he shot five of 15 for 15 points so the defense was really pesky and it really got them the W. They had Porzingis, who looked like amazing. He had 19 points and 13 rebounds. Shot three of six from downtown as well. And you had guys such as Josh Richardson. He had 16 points. And Tim Hardaway Jr. had 19 points off the bench. So the wings and Porzingis were kind of the saving graces. You have to talk about Jalen Brunson, though. He was good in Luka's place. And Trey Burke was good in... Brunson's place now Trey Burke's not going to be playing most more than likely I'd say I think Luca's that point guard and off the bench he got Brunson anyways if they want to be able to get this victory they got to play a lot lot better and it starts with Shea Gilgis Alexander he needs to be able to get inside and you know it comes down to if they can shoot so SGA you know he's going to find a way past the first level he'll get past Luka Doncic and that's going to be a really fun matchup to watch I think he'll probably be able to get around him. Question comes in, how is he able to kind of negotiate once he gets into the painted area? And if they're going to play someone back, you pretty much have to kick it back out unless, you know, he's really slippery tonight. He's going to have to look towards kicking that shot out. And you have Muscala, you have Al Horford, you have all these guys, but if they can't piece it together, it's going to be a tough, tough night for them because... Luca's sensational. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a shot creator. He can do it on his own. Josh Richardson, I'd say a little bit less so, but he does have a pretty good mid-range, I would say. Not that, you know, dribbling all across the court guy, but he can pull up, get you a couple quick buckets for you. Same can be said with Jalen Brunson. And Kristaps Porzingis is a pick-and-pop god. So you can't really mess around there. Defensively, you got to stay anchored pretty much at all areas. But... I mean, just looking back at these numbers, reflecting on what happened in their last week's game, Baisley shot 2 of 8 from 3, Lou Dort shot 1 of 5 from 3, Maladone shot 1 of 5 from 3, Al Horford, he shot 0 of 3 from downtown, and the bench, outside of Ty Jerome, he played amazing, outside of them, I mean, they combined for 1 of 10 from 3, and that came from Justin Jackson, Muscala, Roby, and Kenrich Williams, Ty Jerome shot 3 of 4 though. So he was the best shooter. I don't know. That's a great thing for him. But I don't know if you can continue to do that. And 
with no Diallo, he's not coming back for this game. Probably should have mentioned that, but he's going to have a big role. Ty Jerome is going to be playing some pretty big time, and he played 29 in that one. That's where he had 13 points, and maybe he's able to kind of continue the magic against the Dallas Mavericks. Muscala's got to be big. I think off the bench really is where you make or break games with this unit right now. Same with Kenrich Williams. He's great at cutting in, but you need to be able to kind of factor in that cut. And with Ty Jerome running that second unit, I do think that Kenrich Williams still will probably freely be able to sneak around. So I can imagine him probably notching close to double digits in this game. Mike Muscala, I don't know about that one. But if he can make it, that's when you get into the Okay, we can win this one. So many different shots. Like, these were good looks they had. They just weren't making them. They got a fall. I think Baisley, you know, he was the... I had him in my rankings as a, like, X factor whenever I was giving awards out. And it's going to remain like that, too, because, you know, he's so up and down. He's got to be able to get constant or at least be on the up and up, like... And it starts from outside. Like, the inside game is pretty decorated. He just can't finish it in. And the three is where... He looked great rookie season, looked great for parts of this year, but he hasn't gotten it all together. So he needs to get that foundation. Same goes with Lou Dort, same goes with Teo. I'd say the key factors for a win tonight would be establishing a three ball. You also need to make sure Shea Gildas Alexander is able to operate, and you got to make sure you're shutting down the passes from the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, they were just feasting around, kicking the ball out in their last game they won the assist battle 18 to 13 which is pretty low but you gotta keep in mind that final score so you gotta limit them and with luca back shea gilgis alexander needs to lock him up that's your matchup of the day and this is one you really cannot miss because these are two of the league's best and brightest young prospects going head to head i've seen you know a lot more attention going shea gilgis alexander's way i i think i saw an athletic post where shea gilgis alexander was actually ranked against other guys who were kind of undisputedly higher or more, you know, just better, I guess you could say, than Shea Godis Alexander, like the De'Aaron Foxes and the John Morants. He's kind of surpassed them now in these rankings. So he's looking like he could be very dangerous. And this is one where you really are able to make a stamp early against one of the league's best and brightest players in Luka Doncic and his team, the Dallas Mavericks. So it'll be fun. I'll make sure to keep you all updated with the game, get you with a recap. I'll make sure to do a blog post recapping the game as well and just any other stories that I find throughout the day. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.